We have a song, Jesus, What a Friend to Sinners. And in the second verse, there's a line that says, Tempted, tried, and sometimes failing, He my strength, my victory wins. Tempted, tried, and sometimes failing, but He my strength, my victory wins. It's one of those special songs, especially for young Christians who have found themselves, uh, upon a time, falling and slipping and failing. And it's good to know that there have been other Christians who have slipped. There have been times and places, but more importantly, there is a Savior who is a good friend in this time. Now, sometimes when you need a friend for a particular situation, let's say a loved one passes away or you find yourself in dire financial straits or you're injured and wounded and can't do much or you're sick, a good friend is one who knows sometimes what it's like to be in that position. But sometimes a good friend is someone who knows simply how to treat someone in that position. Sometimes this is someone who has been through it and sometimes it's someone who's intimate with it and sometimes it's someone who has a good sense. Jesus, who loves us, thankfully, at least when it comes to the troubles and trials of this earth, is all of those things. We just passed the beginning of the year, and I guess it's a little old to be thinking about, or a little late to be thinking about things like New Year's resolutions and um, the time of your life and things like that that come up as you see that number change, especially when it's a decade change or a century or like a millennium, which we had fairly recently. But it is good, I think, to consider at different times in our lives our habits to count our days, to remember that we are all given a certain number of them, and we don't know what those are, and to take our days with gravity and with sincerity. And in that vein and that thinking, I'd like to read The Temptation of Jesus and to consider how it was that he was able to go through what he went through when he did. It says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, Thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into an high mountain, skewed unto him, I'm sorry, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone, him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Amen. That last line should bring a praise God from all of us. The devil departed from him for a season. If you have ever experienced temptation, Especially um, in earnest, this is the type of temptation that's more than just a general idea in your head. This is full-on warfare. The enemy is working one-on-one with Jesus himself, the way that he worked with Adam and Eve in the garden. There's a few things I'd like you to pay attention to here, a few distinctions. The first is that Jesus, when you compare the time of the garden to where Jesus is, is he was alone. Remember, God said that it's not good for man to be alone. And when it comes to other people, there was no one out there with him. He was out alone in the wilderness. Adam had Eve. Adam had Eve and someone else to bounce ideas off of, someone else to love, and someone else to remind him of the word of God. Jesus did this alone. Adam and Eve did this in a garden, surrounded by all manner of food and fruit, full of lush life, water everywhere. Jesus did this in the barren desert wilderness wasteland. Adam did this when in the mornings he would walk physically with God. Jesus did this separated and cast away from God for your sake, as far from God as he would be aside from that moment on the cross. And yet, the Spirit of God here was with him. I'd like to consider what it was that Jesus was able to use to deter this temptation. For it doesn't say that Jesus pulled up his bootstraps and fought with will and strength against the temptation. 
and use the idle just strength of mind to say, I will not do that. That is commonly the way you hear when people tell you to change or grow now how to do it. That you should use your strength of will, that your free will is the most important thing about you. And this is inladen in everything from the far end of fantasy and science fiction books to uh, common self-help books of every different sort and way. But Jesus used something particular. The enemy had him in quite a position, for he was hungry and thirsty. He wasn't just hungry and thirsty for a day or so. He was hungry and thirsty for 40 days and 40 nights. That's amazing. And to consider that depth of hunger, if you've ever fasted for a short time, and I expect many of you have for different reasons, and I hope all of you have for particular reasons, uh, especially when petitioning the Lord for different reasons, but if you've ever been hungry, you know that the last thing you want someone to remind you of is how hungry you are. If you're thirsty, the last thing you want someone to remind you of is how easily you have access to water, especially if doing so would be a violation of what Jesus was doing here. But here it says that, He came unto him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Now, remember, the enemy had heard what everyone heard just before this. Jesus had just been baptized, and the the Spirit of God fell upon him like a dove. Now, a spirit is something invisible. So for the Spirit to be visible, it had to be so compact and full of this thing, whatever this Spirit is, that you can't possibly imagine, almost like taking uh, spirits and putting them into an infinite level. There would be just so much that fell upon him, such depth and such fullness. The people saw it, but something else happened. God spoke from heaven and said, what did he say? Does anyone remember? This is my beloved son. Not just, not just this, is, this is the son, not just this is my anointed, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased for obeying God and doing those things which God instructed him to do. And in so saying, he revealed to everyone present that day at the river. And the word, I'm sure, began to spread abroad. And so it came to the enemy's ears that this one is the one that is supposed to be the Son of God. Remember, he'd been looking for him from the dawn of time, seeking to destroy him. And every time there was an opportunity, many innocents died. The enemy, finally having his opportunity, reminded him of food. But what did Jesus look at? Well, Jesus quotes here almost exclusively from the book of Deuteronomy. And if you're not familiar with it, I suggest you do. But you should be familiar with the entirety of the law because Jesus was. And because everything Jesus does is in answer to the completion and the fulfillment of God's law. And so you should be in God's word. And that is what I'd like to leave you with primarily today. And I'd like that to be the one thing, as you walk away from here, is to understand more uses and functions for the word of God to be readily available in your mind and in your heart. See, it's easy for us to get lazy when we have devices and books all around us and say, well, when we need it, we can get it. But the word of God says that wisdom must be pursued early, not in the hour of need. And that if you pursue wisdom in the hour of need, she hides herself from you. It's no longer available. If you suddenly go and you go, boy, I'm going through a lot of trouble. Let me just, let me just open the Bible to a random page and point. Or let me, let me look up something. No. You have to be in the word all the time when things are good so that when things are bad, you're ready. The same is true of every other principle of life. It's, it's true of health. If you take care of your body when you're sick, it'll be more ready when you're unhealthy. The same is true of finances. If you work hard and you have money set aside for when things are bad, you'll be more prepared with a defense against bad. That's what the Bible refers to money as, is a defense, right? And all, with all things, you must be prepared before the evil day comes. It says the wise man sees the evil coming and hides himself, right? And where do we hide ourselves? The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are saved. But here, particularly, Jesus had been familiar with and thinking of something in particular. And that's why I'd like to submit to you that Jesus didn't just magically know exactly the right answer because he was God. See, this is revealed to you for your sake. The entire Bible is documented and written down for your sake. And so think about that. Jesus did this for your sake. So everything about this should be of paramount importance if you know that you're going to be going through temptation again. And so I'd like to look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. So he's quoting here directly out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he says, it says, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall thou observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. Now, when the Bible says that ye may live, you should always stop and think. Right? Because the Bible is chiefly concerned with life. As a matter of fact, it says in the Bible, in this particular book, choose life and not death. If you remember just anything, any one thing out of the Bible, remember that. Let it guide all the principles of your life. Pursue life in all things. For in him is life, in Jesus himself. 
But this is Moses reminding the people of things that have happened. And he says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he may make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Now, if you're walking in the desert, and you're hungry, should it be a surprise that you're looking at passages of scripture that talk about when people were in the desert and hungry? I don't think so. As a matter of fact, I think that's exactly right, and that's what you should be doing. You should be seeking the Bible at different times of need. But Jesus didn't have a bunch of scrolls with him in his backpack. The Word of God had been here and here separately. Right? He planted it, and he hid it, and he hid these treasures away as the most important things. For how many hours can we dedicate to different movies and different things that we uh, spend our time on? And how much more work is it to instead spend that time hiding the Word away in our hearts? Right? Consider one movie, two hours of your life. Do you think you can get five verses in your head in that time? Permanently, forever. So that in your hour of need, that one particular jewel, that one particular weapon or method of defense will be available to you. See, the question is, how valuable is it? And how readily are you considering the dangers which always lie ahead of us? All of you, unless Jesus comes back, will pass through the veil of death at minimum. Most of you will go through sickness and heartache and pain and shame and different times and seasons when we desperately need him near at hand. And all of you, if you live past this time here, will go through temptation again and again and again. And so I submit to you that you should cling the way that the Lord himself did. But look at, look at what's being said here. It said that they had manna given to them every day. Now that matters too because that's going to come up again in this very same temptation. Remember, the Israelites had no food and food magically, surprisingly arrived on the ground in the morning. I mean, consider the miracle. But they got tired of that. They got tired of that. They got sick of that. They couldn't stand it. As a matter of fact, right after this, uh, the temptation, Jesus is going to go, and he's going to go into the temple, and he's going to read the Bible, and it's going to be fulfilled in their ears. But because of their familiarity with Jesus, they tried to kill him immediately in his hometown, the people that knew him. And it was because they were familiar with him. And so the familiarity with God does have its own danger in and of itself. Do you think you know doctrine? Do you think you know God's word? Well, beware of presumption. Beware of that. That's going to come up in just a minute, like I said. But first... Look what it says. It says, Thy raiment raiment wax not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Now, if you're Jesus, and your God, your Father, just said, this is my beloved son, and you're reading, remember, these things to him would have been much more intertwined than us, for verses were not separated at that time. So he wouldn't have just been reading about the need for food. He would have been reading about the reminder that his father loves him and was putting him through this for a very specific purpose. Right? Remember that. Remember that God had sent him into the wilderness. The Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He had been sent there to the temptation. And so it's not just that the enemy is working on you. It's not just that you need to be prepared. It's that your loving God will send you into temptation for your profit, for your benefit. And it says, Therefore, Shalt thou keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways to fear him. That's why. That's what therefore means, right? It was said yesterday. That's what the, what is the therefore, therefore? Whenever you see it, ask that question. The therefore is that all these things that were just said is exactly the reason why you should keep the commandments of God. Keep them. Hold to them. And if you can, obey them. Because Jesus, in his fullness, in his character, was obedient to the word of God. And so if you want to know what Jesus was like, study the Old Testament. Because he lived these things. It was all he did all of his time. Truly, if you want to know who he was, people who say that Jesus came to end the Old Testament, Jesus said the exact opposite. He said, no, you think I come to destroy the law, I come to fulfill it, that not one jot or tittle will fall away. Now, I'm not trying to advocate that you all suddenly go under the old law, but I am advocating that you seek the Lord's Lord's law, that you might know him, that you might walk in his ways, and that you might fear him. Because you do not know what tomorrow brings. You do not know what this afternoon brings. We intend to go on the highways when we leave here, and we'll be traveling somewhere in the 65, almost 70, not any higher than that, I assure you, uh, mile per hour range. But at that speed, if something suddenly happens, we will be either ended or damaged very much. And the idea of car accidents is, of course, ready in our minds for many, many reasons, but I'm sure you all know that we've seen very quickly how we had an accident recently where, where things can suddenly change from everything is good to everything is not. 
from everything is sound to everything is in need. So I, I urge you this morning, while you're in health, while, you're, while things are good, that you might consider these, these things. So, next. The enemy said, All power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. What is he offering here? First, he's offering to be satisfied in his body, right? To have the lust of the flesh be satisfied, right? Next, he's telling him that he's going to be able to have all that he can see. The lust of the eyes, right? Power, pride, real pride. He's offering it to him. And Jesus says, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Also from Deuteronomy. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6 is one of my very, very favorite passages of Scripture. It's uh, the one that tells you to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thine soul, and with all thy might. It is maybe possibly the pinnacle passage of Scripture. The one thing that we should be leaning into above all else. But it goes down, and it tells us how to teach our children, and what things to do, and it tells you to trick yourselves to have the word of God around you. It says it's to write it on your doorpost and to tie it to yourself and to do these things. This is not just for you to have self-discipline and study, though that's of paramount importance. It truly is. But also to have the word up and around his law in places where you're going to see it on accident. Because you're going to see a lot of things on accident. Why not have some control over that? That's what the word is submitting to you. That you might always be surrounded with the word that it might guide your thoughts and your steps. But if it goes down... He tells us, he says, And it shall be when the Lord thy God hath brought thee into thy land, which he sware unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and give thee good, these great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, wells dig, which thou digst not, vineyards, oil, olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have, have be eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. Now, if you've ever been in a place that was full of prosperity and happiness and gladness, maybe those things don't always go together, then you know what it's like to see the danger of pride. And that's what Jesus also had to fight off here. Because Jesus was promised all the kingdoms of the earth and much more, wasn't he? He was also promised you. He was promised a different glory. He reveals these things in his word. And I don't know what else happened in between the Godhead and what agreements they had and what conversations they had. There is much more mystery in existence than there is revealed. And that will, I think, always be the case. As we grow in heaven, one of the things we're going to continue to find is how much mystery there is. But we should remember that when we get things, our natural reaction is to turn away from God. We live in, I would submit, easily the most prosperous time, and it's not even remotely close in all of human history. The amount of people who have access to food, water, climate-controlled environments, information, knowledge, and most importantly, the Word of God is greater by leaps and bounds, by hundreds and thousands and multitudes than all of human history. And what happens? We forget. We easily let ourselves take our hands off the wheel because the car's got autopilot, right? And it's 2020. Our cars actually have autopilot. It's amazing, isn't it? And so we can forget how to drive. We can Relax, because we don't have the normal needs of hunger and thirst that have driven us throughout the course of most of human history. God has given us all things. I can't imagine a time when you've seen the fulfillment of God's promises laid out like he has in this land, where the amount of food produced per acre is so much more than even our forefathers ever imagined. But not just that. Here and now, right now, you have the word of God readily available to you, preached regularly here in this pulpit. How easy it would be to forget and to forget your God, and to not seek that word diligently with the fear of trouble, with the fear of hunger and thirst. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. But beware that fulfillment of that promise, right? Because having all those other things, you might easily forget God. It's a warning in the Proverbs and in other places, but Jesus was reminding him of this very problem in this very place. It says, he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. 
Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but in Exodus, I'll just read this to you now. In Exodus it says, All the congregation of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin. Now it's spelled the same as the word sin, but it's just a coincidental, coincidental thing. It's not actually talking about they were in the wilderness just of uh, only doing sin. Although their actions might uh, say something otherwise. After their journeys, according to the commandments of God, and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people there thirsted with for water. And the people murmured against Moses. And Moses cried unto the Lord, What shall we do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of the people of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in hand and go. Behold, I stand before thee there, a rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it. That's an amazing thing. And he's, he's leaning on this, and it talks about how they tempted the Lord there. But then at another place, it talks about how they, at the same, uh, almost the same time in the same place, they also saw the food, and it wasn't good enough. And they begged God for food, and they said, God, listen, you're not good enough. This, this manna you've been providing for us so regularly and so daily is not good enough for us. And so he sends, the, he sends a wind that sends a whole bunch of birds, and they are so lusting after it. They, they fill their mouths with it, and all those who did so died on the spot. And so you see Jesus is leaning on these passages of Scripture where the people of Israel didn't particularly do good, but that God's word was revealed, right? It shows that God had the power the whole time to send them that meat. He had the power the whole time to open a rock and bring water. But he was doing something else, something much more important than food or drink in them. And Jesus himself also was leaning on the Father in the way that I, I beg all of you to do so, not just this day, but in all days, that if the Spirit of God is in you, and if you are being moved by him, to seek him and to desire him, and to have that thing which no man has ever wanted, that you might adequately follow God's lead and be in the scriptures, in season and out of season, that you might have an answer when the enemy comes, that you might say, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Because that answer, again, came from seeing it done wrong again and again. But remember that all these things happened to the people of Israel and even to the people in the New Testament that you might have these things today to fortify you. You have something that for all those years before the Bible was completed and before it was in your language, no man had this readily available to fortify you against those things which are most important. All that we see will go away. The elements will be untied and it will be burned with a fervent heat. But the word of God that you have right now available will stand. Appreciate what uh, Brother John has brought forth and desire and interest in your prayers, the time that we stand before you this morning. I'd like to look at Matthew chapter 13. There's about six or seven parables in this particular chapter. Probably we'll look at one or two of the parables. Uh, Jesus Christ is the teacher that's teaching uh, and giving these parables. And the parables here are for the purpose of of our benefit and for learning a lesson. And the parables are instructed as Jesus teaches that uh, we'll remember once we seek and know the meaning of the parable. The first parable mentions four different scenarios. And you might uh, ponder yourself and see which one describes you. And we'll look at Maybe more than one, but specifically the first one right here. Then the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. Now, it's mentioned several times throughout this that Jesus Christ himself says, not everybody's going to understand the parable. Not everybody's going to embrace it. Now, you would think that if it depended upon the messenger that everybody all the time would embrace it if Jesus Christ was the messenger. But Jesus Christ is giving a parable right here. And it's interesting that as he begins to speak to them, uh, it shows that we have our worship a little bit backwards. In fact, it says that Jesus went on to the 
It says Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the seaside and great multitudes gathered together unto him so that he went into the ship and the teacher sat. It says he went into the ship and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So a little different than what we do it here right now. Uh, and then Jesus Christ began to teach some lessons. It says he spake many things unto them, and he taught many things in parables. I'm thankful to know that we're not left to interpret the meaning of the parable, that Jesus Christ delivers the parable, and then he tells us the meaning of the parable. So we'll look at the parable, see where we fall in the four examples that he mentions right here. And he spake many things unto them in parables, and he said, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now we have a sower among us. That's Brother Tom Reeves. About this time of the year, Sister Reeves says he gets real antsy in the house because he's looking forward to being able to get out and plant some seeds, to sow some seeds. It says right here that a sower went forth to sow, but as he was sowing, now when they would sow seeds, it says that sometimes there was a basket or a, 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 a barrel, or sometimes they would do it by hand, but there would be some holes in the bottom of it. And as they were going, the seeds would fall out, and there was at least some uh, intention and purpose on where the seed fell. But it says on the first one that the sower went for, forth to sow. And it says that he sowed some seeds by the wayside. And it says, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And it says some seed fell upon. He gives four different examples right here. Some fell by the wayside as they were walking along. You could almost imagine a road or a hardened surface, a hardened path. And it says as they were walking along, some fell by the wayside. And it says that when the seed fell, the fowls came and they devoured the seed up. It said the second one is that some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth and for which they sprung up. Because they had no deepness of earth. It says they sprung up. They had no deepness of earth. And when the sun came. It says they were scorched. And because they had no root. They withered away. And then it says the third one is. That some fell upon thorns. And some sprung up. They fell upon thorns. And the thorns sprung up. And the thorns choked them. Now, the one I'm most interested in is the last one, but we'll look at each one of these, specifically the third and fourth one. And it says, but the other fell into good ground and brought forth some fruit, brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold and some thirtyfold. So Jesus Christ teaches us a parable right here, and he gives four different examples. I've heard folks that enjoyed debating about which one of these, uh, which one of these examples described whether someone was a child of God or not. I don't think that's the importance of the parable that's taught right here, nor do I believe that it explains uh, which one is or which one's not. But it does give us, it does tell us the important one. And the important one is the, uh, the last one in verse 8. Now, he says in verse 9, he says, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, he's not talking about natural ears. But he's talking about folks that have been tendered in their heart. To have an appreciation for the things of God, to have a desire to know more about the things of God, and to have a desire to hear from a spiritual standpoint about the things of God. And so as he's delivering this parable right here, he says, for those of you that have an interest in this, listen up. 
There's some things that you might glean from this that might help you along the way. So I believe that you probably have ears to hear or spiritual ears to hear or you wouldn't be here this morning. There's at least a thousand other things that you could be doing rather than come to the house of the Lord if you didn't have ears to want to hear spiritual things. Now let's look at what he says right here. He says, some of the disciples said to him, why do you speak to us in parables? And he answered unto them. And he says, because it is given unto you, those that have spiritual ears to hear, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. First of all, it's not given to those that are not the elect of God. Those that have not a spiritual interest or a spiritual hunger for the things of God. He says that he's teaching these things for those that have spiritual ears that they might remember, that they might hear, and that they might make a difference in their life. Now let's look at, he begins to, he describes those that will not hear and he, he specifically talks about the Pharisees, he talks about the Jews, but the, I want to get down to the interpretation of the parable right here. I believe that you have an evidence, there's an evidence that you have spiritual ears to hear because you have a desire to know more about the things of God from a spiritual standpoint. So let's go all the way down to verse 18. And then he begins to tell us the meaning of the parable. He says, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Now he tells us that this is talking about the word of God. That it's talking about the kingdom of God. We can even embrace that it's talking about the church of God. I believe you'll see some, some comparisons right here. I want you to take heed and see which one describes you. That's the purpose of Christ delivering this parable right here. Which one describes me? Hopefully the first one does not. He says, the first one is, when some seed fell, it fell by the wayside and the fowls devoured it up. He tells us that the sowing is the word of God. And he says, there's some people that will hear the word of God and it will have absolutely no impact on them whatsoever. In fact, if it has any impact upon them, it's a negative impact upon them. And it says that the fowls come and they devour the seed and the seed's gone and that's the end of it is what basically the first comparison. It says, when one heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in the heart and this is he which received the seed by the wayside hopefully that doesn't describe our situation here in any of us maybe it did at one time but hopefully it doesn't at this time then he says the second one is that some seed fell upon stony places and he says the one that fell upon stony places, verse 20 says, is he that received the seed in stony places. The same is he that heareth the word and anon with joy receiveth it, yet hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by he is offended. Now it's interesting to note and it's worthy to consider that tribulation sometimes cause some folks to be drawn closer to the Lord and tribulations for other folks drive them further away from the Lord. 
Brother John gave us great counsel and great instruction about hiding the word of God in our hearts so that when tribulation comes, we'll be able to endure tribulation and will not be overwhelmed with tribulation. But here he describes an individual that says, the seed fell upon the stony place, and he says, he that heareth the word and anon with joy receiveth it. It almost describes an individual that hears the word of God and at least outwardly, it seems like when they hear the word of God, well, it sounds pretty good to them. They might have an interest in it. And then you don't ever see him again. Now look at the third one right here. And I fear that it's very possible that this third one could describe us at some point in time in our life. But hopefully the fourth one is where we will land or pray that God would bless us to land. The third one right here. The third one says that it's the one that fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them. So if you go over to the latter part of the chapter, it says um, in verse 22, he describes it. And he says, he also that received seed among thorns, among the thorns, is he that heareth the word. I hope this doesn't describe us here, but it's very possible that it could describe us at some point in time in our life. He says, he that received the word among thorns, received the seed among thorns, is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Now, the whole purpose of the parable is to warn us against becoming unfruitful for those that have ears to hear. And the purpose of the last one that he mentions right here is so that we can be used of God to bear the most fruit possible. Now, everybody has a different degree of fruit that they bear. But he's telling us right here in the third example of some things that will hinder us if we allow them to hinder us in bearing fruit. He says right here, he that received the seed among thorns is he that heareth the word. Sounded really good to him. In fact, for a while he rejoiced in the word. In fact, for a while he was really active in hearing the word. There is an individual that Paul describes in the New Testament. And his name was Demas. And two separate places, the Apostle Paul talks about Demas. And he says, Demas is a fellow laborer with me. Demas is right there in the worship with me. Demas is a helper with those in serving the Lord. And then Paul says, I believe it's in Timothy. He says, Demas, the end of the story about Demas. I, I don't encourage you to name any of your children Demas. I mean, it's just not a, a, a complimentary term. Because this describes the end of Demas. This is the last thing that we know about Demas. It says Demas forsook serving the Lord with Paul. Because what was the attraction? What was it that drew Demas away from serving the Lord? It says he loved this present evil world. I wonder what it was that he loved about it. It doesn't say what he loved about it. But it just simply says that Demas departed from serving the Lord. Did you know that in the day in which we live, a lot of folks are enticed 
to follow the world. They're drawn away. Brother Mike Rogers and I were talking this morning, had a good visit with him over the phone, and we were, we were talking about our, our, our conversation traveled back a long way, about 40 years. And we were talking about some of the folks that we had known back in our childhood, in our early years in Texas, that were really faithful and committed. And for one reason or another, they were enticed and they were drawn away. They lost interest. And they departed from the things that they'd been taught, some of the principles and the truths that they'd believed. And that's what he's describing about Demas right here. He said he rejoiced in it. He heard it. He seemingly rejoiced in the doctrine. He seemingly for a little while was used to serve the Lord. But Paul says later on, the world looked more enticing to Demas. And the end of the story for Demas, as we have it, is that Demas forsook because he was enticed by this present world. So that can be a really strong warning for us. And when it happens, it not sometimes, but it always hinders our ability to be used of the Lord to bear fruit. Now, when Brother Tom goes out into his garden, he enjoys it as a hobby. And he has a lot of fun as we kid each other about digging in the dirt. But really and truly, Sister Lee probably wouldn't let him stay outside all day long, every day until dark, if what he planted didn't bear a little bit of fruit. He fully, when he gets out there, intends to see a harvest come forth. And Jesus Christ gave you and I specific talents and gifts for the purpose of using those gifts and talents to see some harvest come forth, to see some fruit bearing come forth. And he describes it right here. And he says, you be warned and you be on guard. That there's some enticing things in this world. And if you go down that road and you go down that path. Or you mix your worship with the thorns of the world. It's going to hinder your fruit bearing. Brother Ray Evers and I. Saw a little piece of ground for rent. And uh, we decided we'd rent an acre of ground. Have a big garden. Right up here on 22. We were so excited about it when we started it. And we got out there and tilled the ground. And Brother Ray and Sister Karen and I worked on it. We planted this big garden. And then both of us went out of town. <laughs> we, we didn't time it appropriately. And when we came back and went to check out this garden. Brother Mark Gardens as well as Brother Tom. We couldn't see the vegetables for the weeds. Now, I can assure you, you're never going to find a weed in Brother Tom's garden. Uh, they're not welcome there. You won't find that. But the weeds in your life, the tares, can take over to the point that it will hinder your ability to be bearing fruit with the Lord. And that's the warning that he's given us right here. But then he said, there's some seed, the fourth one. Hopefully this describes each one of us. He said there's some seed. The last one. That he that received the seed into the good ground. Is he that heareth the word. And understandeth it. He may not understand all of it at, in the beginning. But he desires to understand it. And it says that he hears the word, he understands the word, and he says it fell in good ground. And he says 
He is the one that beareth fruit, which bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. The purpose, the, 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 uh, the, the, the meaning right here and the importance of this is not which one will you fall into. The importance is that the talents and gifts that God has blessed you to use, you use them to serve Him. You let the Word of God you hide the word of God in your heart. You apply it in your heart. You be on guard not to allow the thorns and the snares and the enticements of Satan to withdraw those blessings and pleasures from you and your ability to serve God. And you pray that your heart will be pure before God. Now you say you're not describing me. Every single one of us are depraved, guilty sinners. But we pray that God tenders our heart. Uh, uh, David said this. He said, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. He wasn't talking about only when he passed from this life and he's taken into heaven. But he was talking about right now. He said, there's some things in my heart that separate my fellowship. It doesn't separate the relationship, but it does separate the fellowship that you have with God. And David said, I've got some things in my heart that don't need to be there. And he said, Lord, would you create in me a clean heart, O God? And would you restore a right spirit within me? Lord, would you renew that spirit that you gave me in the beginning and bless me once again to have a heart to serve you? That's what he's talking about right here. He said, don't you allow things in your heart that will hinder you and your relationship with God. But you ask God to deliver you from those things. And you have a heart that's tendered to the things of God, to the people of God, to the message of God. I saw a sign one time that said, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? It's usually when we move away from God. What he's saying right here is you stay close to the Lord. Because God has called you to bear fruit. He's called you to bear much fruit. It says some will bear 30-fold. Some 60-fold. And some will bear 100-fold. There's about five more really, really, really good parables here. Please go through and read them in chapter 13. Keep in mind as you read this that it's talking about the word. It's talking about the gospel. And it's talking about his church or his people. And especially as you get over to the last two, I'm just going to hit it. Bear with me three more minutes and we'll just touch on a couple of these right here and wrap it up. Verse 44 says, we're, we're skipping about four parables, but we're going to get down to these two are my favorite. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure that's hid in the field. I believe that's the doctrine. I believe that's the church. I was just talking to Brother Mike today, and I, I said, I remember the young couple that were in their 20s that first explained to me the doctrines of grace. I said, as far as you know, are they still living? And he said, they are. I said, I want to look them up and tell them how much I appreciate them sharing and enlightening me on the doctrines of grace. He says right here, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. You know, treasure is something that's valuable. It's precious. Treasure is something that you want to keep. You don't want to let go. And you want to look for it and you want to find it. I, I want to just share this with you. When I grew up, we didn't, we didn't go to church. That wasn't uh, something that, that we did very much at all. I went occasionally with my grandparents. But I can remember thinking back on Sunday mornings as a child. I can remember thinking that there was something that's missing. I didn't know what it was. I knew there was something missing, but I didn't know there was a treasure. And I sure didn't know that I'd ever have it. But I knew that there was something that was missing. So it says there's a treasure that's hid in a field that when a man had found it, 
He hideth, and for the joy thereof goeth forth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Your greatest delight and your greatest desire, when God shows you the treasure, is to embrace it, is to have it. And you're willing, in order to get the treasure and hold on to the treasure, you're willing two things. You're willing to sell all you have to get the treasure. My pastor said, when you seek baptism, you join the church, there's some things you need to put behind you, some things you need to get rid of. But he said, there's not one thing that you need to get rid of that you needed in the first place. So you're willing to sell all there is to get the treasure if God shows you where the treasure is. You're willing to sell all that is, but you're also willing to buy the entire field to get the treasure. Now in the field, because it's made up of people, there's some manifestation occasionally of some tears along the way. But if you buy the entire field, you get the treasure that's in the field. Then he says, it's also like a merchant seeking goodly pearls. Who when he's found the one pearl of great price. He went and sold all that he had. In order to get the pearl. And he bought it. He describes it as something that's precious. Don't be like that third example. Where the enticements and the cares of the world draw you away from the Lord. But pray that God will be, bless you to be like that fourth example. That the word of God will have an impact in your life. And it will make a difference in your life. And if you do. And if you have a heart that's tender toward the things of God. It will be to you like a treasure and a pearl of great promise. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you.